And welcome to Dear Jane. I am your host, Scott Baker. Thank you for tuning in today. This episode of Dear Jane is brought to you by Cogency Strategic. Lots of congressional or constitutional battles coming up this year in about 12 states where they're going to try to codify abortion into state constitutions. We have to win these battles. The folks at Cogency Strategic are singularly focused on winning these battles for life. They are of one mind. They're one track mind. So make sure you check them out. Cogency Strategic. They want to help you win your battle for life. So welcome to the show, Josh Brom with the Equal Rights Institute. Glad that you're uh, joining us here today, Josh. I want Glad to start to out. I, I want to start out with a true or false question. Okay. True or false. It is impossible to get a pro-choice person to uh, to see that abortion is wrong. Oh, super, super false. Demonstrably really? false. See, I'm skeptical. <laughs> yeah? I, I just... I, Tell I, me I, why. Well, the pro-choice people that I know yeah. are hard and they don't... They don't even want to listen. They, can't, they don't even want to have the conversation, so I don't even have the chance to try to convince them. Yeah. Well, I think that happens a lot to pro-life people. I think there are pro-life people that's like that they want to talk about this, but then it's hard to get into those conversations. And there's there's like cultural and kind of just like social dynamic barriers there and sometimes power dynamics, depending on who, who, who you're talking to. But I also want pro-life people to kind of keep in mind, like sometimes people might not want to talk to you because of something about you. Like there are pro-life people who have built up sort of a bad reputation among their mm -hmm. pro-choice friends of being, you know, maybe obnoxious or always kind of demeaning pro-choice people or whatever in the way that they post. So I always say, like, watch what you post because your pro-choice friends, hopefully you have pro-choice friends, but if you, you have them, then they are watching. And those, uh, the things that you say will have a long ripple effect, we have found. So it starts with your attitude. So you have mm -hmm. to have like an open posture. What's a what's a good way? I mean, I guess the subject just sort of comes up organically. Is that the deal? <laughs> or, or, um, or or should you should you proactively bring it up? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think we're I'm still trying to figure out exactly what is going to be the best way because sort of everything changed when Roe was overturned with Dobbs. Um, the dynamic between pro-life and pro-choice people has changed. And and we were saying, you know, even before that, predicting what would happen, like, this is going to be the hardest time for pro-life and pro-choice people to have conversations because pro-choice mm -hmm. people are going to feel like they got back into the corner of a trap. They feel terrified. They feel furious. And that makes conversations harder. That doesn't take a genius. Like, anyone who's married, no. That is, is better to have conversations when we can kind of be you know, calm and collected and, and open-minded and like open to seeing the other person's um, view. And so, yes, I encourage pro-life people to go into the conversation with an open posture, uh, being open-minded and, and actually open-minded. And this is a little bit controversial. There are some pro-life people, um, yeah. especially Christians, who feel uncomfortable with this idea mm -hmm. because they think that it means being wishy-washy. They right. think it's just like, you know, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've had quoted to me don't be so minded that your brains fall out. It's like, I know, I've heard the quote, and it's, it's not helpful because when, when, when I say be open-minded, that means be open to the possibility that you're wrong about things. 
And if we want pro-choice people to be open-minded, then we got to do that in return. And when it happens, when you're able to demonstrate how open-minded you are, it is one of the most powerful ways to get a pro-choice person to talk to you over a long period of time. Wait, but if I know I'm not wrong about the life issue, how do I do that? So I actually believe, and this is, and this, this is where it gets controversial, is I actually believe that pro-life people should be open-minded too. I think right. that you should... I think you should be open-minded about most things. I don't think that you should be open-minded about your own existence. I don't think that you should be open-minded about two plus two being four in a base 10 system. Um, but I think most things, like most of my political views, for example, and even my religious views, I hold with an open hand. Now, that mm -hmm. doesn't mean I don't have any confidence, because basically for every topic, there is a spectrum of confidence for me, you know, on how confident I am about being right. And there's a lot of political topics that... I would be in like the 40 to 70 percent camp. Like I, I haven't earned confidence if I haven't read and thought about the smartest people on both sides, as opposed to just the side that I grew up with or the side that I listen to all the time on on TV. Um, and so if we can show people that we are actually open minded, like if we're right, we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to be afraid of the truth. OK. I'm with you, and I'm of like mind with you, because I had this nice. conversation recently with someone. I, I, I have oh. noticed as I get older, I used to be, when I was younger, I was hardcore conservative on everything. Hmm. I've noticed yep. as I get older, I've gotten to the point where I can say, you know what, I can see how reasonable people can disagree on a wide range of issues. Reason it's, it's reasonable to disagree on tax policy or on transportation, or I get that. Even if you don't yeah. dis you don't have my position on defense, I you know I can see how you could. But boy, yes. abortion. Mm, I, yeah. I don't so get, I so can't it's get interesting. There. Yeah. So uh, sometimes what is helpful if you if, if when people want to try to like invest and and grow in this area. A lot of times the most helpful thing to do is is to go looking for people who are really intelligent on the other side. Most pro-life people have not read David Boonin or Judith Jarvis Thompson or Michael Tooley or, you know, uh, Peter Singer. Like, there's a lot of, like, really, really thoughtful, smart, pro-choice people. These are not dumb people. Now, sometimes like, you're going to disagree with their views, and there's going to be some reason why you disagree with their views. You know, if you're a Judith Jarvis Thompson person, then you probably are more of a bodily autonomy-based person who just thinks that even if abortion is killing no one should be forced to have their bodies hooked up to people. And if you're more of like, a, let's say, a Michael Tooley or Peter Singer type thing, you probably don't think that the unborn is a person like you or me because of something like brain activity, something like the belief that to be a valuable person, you need to be sentient or self-aware or, or something like that. So it, it's hard for people to believe sometimes if you haven't ever had a chance to talk to a thoughtful pro-choice person. But I have talked to a lot of very smart pro-choice people. I've also talked to some dumb pro-life people. Like, there's dumb and smart people on both sides of every topic. Um, I'm, I am more concerned with trying to help my side to become more intellectually virt uh, virtuous, to also be more persuasive. There are some pro-life arguments that are more persuasive than others. Yeah. And so we want to be as effective as we possibly can, especially given how hard it is in a post-Dobbs environment. So it's kind of like... Don't make this any harder than it needs to be. Like, if anything, we should be in boot camp. I've been talking about Band of Brothers a lot for the last year. Have you seen uh, Band you know of what? Brothers? You know what? I just got done watching it about two weeks ago. 
Oh, that's awesome. How great yeah. is it? Okay, yes. good. You're going to probably, hopefully you'll join those of us that watch it about annually. It is fantastic <laughs> and it doesn't get old. Okay, so here's, so for those who don't know, and I'll, I'll do this quickly, but Band of Brothers, uh, you know, the, 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 it's a historical series that takes place following a, one of the first paratroop companies. World War II is the first time that we actually sent people, soldiers out of planes with parachutes, like mm-hmm. behind enemy lines. Mm-hmm. So in World War II, we had some of those. And this falls one company and they've literally episode two, they drop in on D-Day. Like that's how it starts. Mm-hmm. But that's episode two. The entire episode one, there's no combat. What it is, it's their training. Training. They're yeah. at Camp Curry in Georgia dealing with this, yeah. you know, uh, the superior officer who seems sadistic to them, making them run up and down this hill all these mm-hmm. times. Like it's terrible. But yeah. it turns out as you watch the movie. And the men would say this later, that if they hadn't gone through such a grueling training, then they would not have been able to handle what was in front of them. They had grueling, grueling days in front of them, you know, on the eastern front in the winter without winter gear, like freezing. Mm -hmm. They needed that training. So here's the point. Pro-lifers are in that place, too. We need to do training. We need to get in boot camp and learn that there are some methods in, uh, that, that are more effective than others. And we have so many experiences of figuring out what works and what doesn't. And we just want to let everyone know what we've been learning. All right. I, and I, 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 and I want to get into that. And I think yeah. there is a lot to learn. And there is a lot that we do wrong. But I, I, I want to just take one more bite at the apple. Yeah, please. Um, so, and I, I understand, want to be open-minded and I understand, and again, I can think on every issue, I, I agree, mm-hmm. I could debate every issue and say, okay, you know, I, I don't see it exactly the way you do, but I can understand why, um, yeah. you know, you think th- this way. Yeah. But I'm right on a killing of babies. I'm just right. And yeah. so how do I... How do I not how do you get around think, that? Yeah, yeah. It seems it would be super weird if pro-choice people thought it was okay to kill babies. Like mm-hmm. very, very few pro-choice people actually believe it's okay to kill babies. There are two really big disagreements between pro-life and pro-choice people, and really, I think only two. We don't disagree about whether poverty is a bad thing or whether rape is a bad thing. Like all these things. Like we have a lot of common ground, but we disagree on two big things. One is fetal personhood. The unborn baby, as you're calling it a baby, that entity in the womb, is that the same kind of thing as you and I? And not just scientifically. Is it philosophically a kind of thing that morally matters, like you and I clearly do, right? Um, So they might disagree on that and think that you don't start morally mattering until later in pregnancy. Like they would just say that, look, you know, at some point you become valuable. You have a potential person in the womb, but for a while the lights haven't come on yet. And so it's a totally different thing for them. Now, there's good and bad arguments for that view, and we can get into how to respond. Then on the other side, you're going to have people who, again, take a more bodily autonomy approach. And that approach basically says, you are right, Scott. You're right that abortion kills living human persons, but it ought to still be legal, and here's why. Because we should not force people to be hooked up to other people. So there's like a famous thought experiment. So I, I, I'll spend a couple of minutes here since you brought us here. Let's just like, okay. I don't want to give people the hard thing without giving a little bit of, a, of an answer. But the, uh, uh, the, the thought experiment would go that you wake up in a, hosp- in a hospital bed, you didn't go to sleep there, so you're freaking out. There's a tube coming out of your body into a, in a, a man in a coma in the bed next to you. 
the head of the hospital rushes in and says, okay, you're awake. Oh, let me catch you up. I'm so sorry. This is so unjust. Okay. That guy, the guy in a coma is a world famous violinist with a kidney problem. You were kidnapped by the society of music lovers who somehow found out that you're a kidney match and they kidnapped you both. They hooked you up and then they left you here. And here's the thing. I'm so sorry. This is so unjust, but that violinist, he's a person. He has what you would call maybe the right to life. And so we can't unplug you or he'll die. But here's the good news. You only have to be plugged in for nine months. And then we unplug you and everyone can go their, their merry ways. Most pro-life people would agree that you should not be handcuffed to the bed, that there should not be a violinist amendment to the Constitution that says that this is the way that we will, you know, uh, affect bodily autonomy. Now, there's really great responses to both of those differences. But hopefully people can get a sense of, okay, there might be, it might be hard for people to convince you that abortion doesn't kill a thing. I, you couldn't convince me that abortion doesn't kill something. You could, in theory, convince me that it ought to be legal um, because of trying to think about, like, this is a situation where you have this kind of rights case where you're trying to do your best to weigh both the rights of the woman and the child, and it's complicated. Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking about your analogy. Uh, it, it's interesting, and we could spend quite a bit of time on that. I mean, it, you know, except, except in the cases of rape and incest, there are some decisions that are made. Yes. That, you know, there weren't decisions that were made in your analogy. But that anyway, is one of the best. That's one of the best responses is the responsibility yeah. objection is that it, 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 I do believe I, I believe you're right. I think it's morally relevant when people engage in an act that they know might result in the creation of an innocent child that they that they would then owe compensation to later. So I, I am in agree with you. That is really effective. It won't cover, as you said, 100 percent of the abortions, right. but that's right. really powerful and definitely one of the arguments that we teach. Yeah. So let's get back to when it comes up or, you know, how you broach the topic. It seems like in 2024, we as a society are not allowed to disagree on anything. You know, we yeah, just it, it's people not are losing friends left and right. Right. You know, and it's just it's just yeah. not OK. Yeah. Um, so so we just don't bring it up. We hide our beliefs, our values, uh, that sort of thing. I'll be honest. You know what? I, I there are times when I will do that, yeah, uh, just to uh, maintain the peace, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I probably should have spoken up. Um, so how? I mean, what? So so then there are effective ways. You're saying that yeah. we can have a productive conversation yeah. without breaking out into a shouting match. Yes. So like a lot of it has to do with how you start. And, and I think starting the conversation in most situations is, pro is probably the hardest part. Like, like if it, uh, we, we work with a lot of clubs on college campuses, for example, it's easy for them to get into conversations. They just have to sit up a table asking the right question and they will get a bunch of people uh, having conversations. For adults like you and me who aren't going to college and like it's a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, I believe that the best opportunity you're gonna have to change the approach to this person's mind is if they are a friend and local to you, and you're able to go out to eat or grab coffee on a semi-regular basis. I think that is like best case scenario. I, there are so many stories of people who the only reason they were able to change their mind to get over all of the hurdles that were in their head between point A and point Z, they needed some, they needed to be able to have multiple conversations with someone that they trusted. 
That's why if it's a friend, at least like if it, Scott, your friends know that you are not pro-life because you hate women. Like hopefully they at least understand that, right? And so yeah. they might take your pro-life arguments more seriously than they would take me if they just like heard me on the radio or something because I'm a stranger. They know that hopefully that you're a good person and that you're thoughtful and that you're doing your best. And if you are, again, so that you are open-minded and interested in learning from them too and hearing the best arguments that, that, that their side has to offer, uh, people are willing to do that. So I could start it this way. I could basically reach out to a friend might like shoot an email and just be like, hey, you want to do something weird? You know how like it's really hard for people to talk about things that they disagree on? I am wanting to change that. I have noticed in my life that I have too many friends who all believe the same politically. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about the abortion topic. It's been in the news a lot lately. And um, I want to spend some time talking to a pro-choice person that that I respect, that I can that learn from and try to get outside of confirmation bias land. And if you're open to hearing from me, I would love to, you know, have a conversation back and forth. But like, that's the kind of thing that people aren't doing. And mm. I think if everyone were doing that, our society would be such a better place. Yeah. And you know what? This is important. Some people might be listening and say, well, pff, why, why even bring it up? Let's just avoid it. Uh, it's kind of what we started with, you know, I mean, we're going to start to see uh, you know, post Dobbs now, we're going to see this issue coming up in every state where there are political battles where they try to codify abortion into state yeah. constitutions. And so these yep. conversations are going to have to go on. Um, yep. They're more important single... than at least in the last 20 years. Like you yeah. actually can have an impact on abortion laws by changing yeah. minds in your state. That hasn't been the case for a really long time. So let's get really good at it. Let's not just assume that we are like, oh, it's so it's super simple. Like, let's get in. Let's let, let we want to tell you what the really smart pro-choice people have to say and how to confidently refute their ideas. All right, let's role play a little bit. I'm the pro-choicer. All right. Awesome. Uh, all right. So um we'll just jump into it. And uh, you know, I Josh, it, look, it's my body. So it's my choice. I get to choose what happens with my body, my choice. Yeah. So that's a, a, excellent. I'm so glad that you brought up, that up. That is, I think, one of the most popular pro-choice ideas. In fact, that phrase could mean at least four different arguments. So I really want to make sure I don't straw man you accidentally or anything like that. So um, could you either flesh out what you mean by my body, my choice? Or if you would like, I'd be happy to sort of give you multiple choice and you could kind of Tell me, like, I just want clarity. Clarity is our friend, and I don't want to misconstrue your argument. Well, well, I should be able to choose how what happens to my body. Mm -hmm. I don't think your religion should be put on my body. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, any decision about my health or anything that happens to my body is my decision and mine alone. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's really helpful. So there's some things in there that we actually agree with. I don't believe that my religious views should be able to affect your body either. I don't think that if if I had views about like your lifestyle, let's say your sexual lifestyle, and I had views based on the Christian church that you don't share, like I'm not forcing that on you. And so I, I don't think it's, it's, um, um, it's not accurate to say that we want to completely control all of that stuff. And I, it's not a religious thing for me. Um, it's a scientific and philosophical thing for me. I think this is a really complicated philosophical question. 
Um, and and my body, my choice really gets into the we uh, like, can quickly get us into the weeds of some of the most interesting parts of like what the really clever pro-choice philosophers have to say. All right, let's go to another route. Well, Josh, this is healthcare. This is healthcare mm-hmm. for women, and if you deny uh, my access to abortion, you're des- you're denying uh, proper healthcare for women. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, that would depend on how you define healthcare. So, uh, obviously, pro-life and pro-choice people think really differently, right? Like that's almost a tautology. That's like we just kind of know that, right? And so we think really differently, and so. I try to help pro-life people a lot of times to better understand where pro-choice people are coming from to really get into their shoes. Um, but I also want pro-choice people to be able to do that for pro-life people. And so imagine that you believe that abortion was actually killing a baby. Like, that's really what they thought. But it's just um, not, Josh. It's not. Sure. Okay, we could get there. If it's not, then I'm on your side. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm pro-choice if abortion doesn't kill, you know, uh, what some would call a baby. So that's, that. like, let's go there. Uh, what, why do you think that it's not a baby? It's, it's not, it's just a clump of cells. What does that mean to you? When, when you say clump of cells, like, well, it can't think it doesn't have emotions. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it can't even live on its own. And, and, and what, what time period are we talking about? Are we talking about like first trimester? Are you talking about like, like how, how late into pregnancy do you think people should be able to have abortions? Oh, you know, until viability. Okay. A lot of people are using that, that, that line. That's, that's, that's interesting. So, you, so would you agree with me as the pro-choice person? Would we have this common ground that abortion uh, should be, you, know, you think abortion should be legal for the first 20-ish weeks, and then you would, you would be okay with it being banned after that, I'm assuming. And, uh, how do you feel about, um, um, just because I like com- finding common ground, I'd just love to ask you a few quick more. Um, how do you feel about abortions in the case of sex selection? Like there's cultures where sometimes if they find out they're having a girl, they will abort the girl so that they can have a boy. Like, how do you feel about that? I don't, I don't like that now. However, if, if mm-hmm. there's some sort of, uh, uh, massive deformity or, or if the, if the, if the fetus mm-hmm. has some sort of, uh, fatal disease or something, then I think that should be taken into consideration. Yeah, certainly, certainly. We can take all of that into consideration. But like, even if we did, that is uh, um, like we could have a whole conversation about how we got to treat disabled people and and, and and the best ways to think about that and how to handle the tragic, horrible situation that that parents go through when they have a child that is not going to survive the entire pregnancy or maybe not survive long after birth. I certainly don't think that we should kill kill them. I think we should give them palliative care, love them as well as we can and until they pass naturally. But again, that's not most abortions, though. Most abortions are taking are taking place in the first trimester for socioeconomic reasons. So if you would agree with me, so I guess maybe if I could just ask you a quick question uh-huh. uh, is why do you want to control women's bodies? I don't, I, I don't want, I think every woman should be able to control their own bodies. Yeah, except you, you don't, because earlier you said that after 20 weeks, it should be able to be made illegal. So, so you definitely think that there are as some cases when we should be able to control women's bodies. Well, unless, and no, unless it's, in, you know, unless the woman's health or um, mental, emotional or physical health is in danger, and then I think it should be, uh, still be an option. 
Yeah, but th so just I, I know that there is a lot of disagreement on this, and I would be happy to give you the pro-choice sources on this, but there are a lot of abortions in the second and third trimester that are not done because there's a problem with the mom or the baby. By the they way, are done with a healthy baby that is in a healthy mom. Let's just pause here in case anybody's yeah. tuning into the podcast and just remind people that, <laughs> what that happened we're, to Scott? we're role playing here at this, <laughs> at this point in case my boss checks in. It's like, oh, my word, what happened to Scott? <laughs> we're just role playing and I'm the pro-choice person. All right. So back to it. Yeah. So, OK, what your, your response to me was. So we were talking I'm, about what, why do you want to control women's bodies after after 20 weeks? Well, it's it's. After the baby is viable, mm -hmm. uh, then then it's an it's a person, uh, but that's not in, le, until late into pregnancy. Then mm -hmm. then it's another person. Yeah. So so right now that takes place around twenty to twenty four weeks, give or take. Um, but as technology grows, uh, that that line changes. In fact, that that actually makes this, I think. Of all the options that you could choose for reasons that you don't think that the uh, that you know the entity in the womb, whatever you want to call it, the human embryo or or, or fetus here, the reason that you don't think it's a baby, I think this is the 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 kind of strangest one to pick because you pick the only moving target. You know, if you put a woman in a first world country on a transatlantic flight and send her to certain parts of the world, then her she's going to suddenly go from having a viable baby to a not viable baby. That gets metaphysically really weird, especially mm -hmm. if the plane turns around. Like you want to avoid an, an, an episodic problem, as as philosophers say. And so it's, I think it's, it'd be weird to say that you become a person, but then you can also lose that really quickly just because of technology or some other sort of out, 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 outside force. So what happens usually at this point of the conversation is emotion mm -hmm. often takes over. Yeah, I'm sure you've experienced that. Yes, we're well, out of I the just, role play now. Is that right? <laughs> yes, we're out of the uh, yeah. Just okay. pa pausing okay. the role just play right now. Checking. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's usually what will happen. I'm sure you're yes. very familiar with this. Yes. Is yes. You know, they'll just resort to name calling or something yeah. like that. How do you? How do you? Yeah. Kind of recenter or re reorient the conversation back to where it yeah. needs to be. That's such a great question, and I have so many thoughts on this. So um, a lot of times, it, it depends. It's, so it's a case-by-case -case basis kind of a situation for me. I definitely think that there are conversations that you ought to be willing to end. Um, used to be, I wrote an article a long time ago that says you should be willing to graciously end unproductive conversations. So, for example, if you're talking to someone who's really closed-minded and has demonstrated that for a while— then I don't know what the point is of talking to mm. a closed-minded person. They're not, you know, like, nothing's changing, right? Uh, and there's other factors. If they're being really abusive, you know, especially, like, over, you know, for, you know, after a little while, you know, asking, you know, if they're continuing to be abusive, there, there's reasons to end the conversation. Like, probably pro-life Christians should care about self-care and boundaries. Um, if, but if someone's getting kind of upset, like, a lot of times, the louder that they get, the quieter you should get. Like, there are reasons why they are feeling this upset. As passionate as you are about the subject of, of, of brutally killing babies and abortions, they also might be very uh, passionate about the subject of, of believing, if you listen to a lot of pro-choice sources, that pro-lifers are going to get women killed all over mm. America because they're not going to be able to deal with their ectopic pregnancies and, and situations like that. Like, there's a lot of really scary rhetoric about pro-lifers out there right there. And so a lot of times people just need to take a break. Like I noticed mm. that recently in a conversation I was having with a, a, a friend of mine who is 
um, trying to influence the way that I think about something is at, at some point I went quickly from loving it to overwhelmed. Like it was just like so much information. I, it's like I needed time to process. I basically told her, you now have like a negative return on like, you know, like if the longer we go, the worse effects are going to have. So like, let's let's take some time. Like approach those people need that, too. So if they're getting upset, then I want to give them the op- the opportunity to like, let's let's maybe end this. I also want to listen to them. If they're willing to share with me why they're upset, Scott, they might be upset because they had an abortion mm. and, and they feel like what you're actually saying to them is that they're a murderer. Yeah, and, right. and you're not, hopefully, you and you, you know, you, you'll be able to explain the distinction of like why you don't think of women who have abortions as murderers, but it's not weird that they would come to that conclusion. And so sometimes it's just a matter of just like, what would you be willing to share with me? Like if someone said they were post-abortive to me, I will say like, you don't have to share anything with me. This is completely your private business. But if there's anything that you would like me as the pro-lifer to know about your experience, I will listen and not interrupt. Like that kind of thing. Like just make a safe yeah. space for that. You just said something, though, that uh, <clears throat> that triggered. And I know this is something else that you talk to people about. Yeah. Let's let's turn the tables a little bit. Yeah. And that is talking to, um, how shall we say, those who are fervently pro-life and mm-hmm. may, you, you talked about uh you know talking to women who have had abortion and calling them baby murderer killers yeah. and things like that yeah uh, maybe go too far the other way yep um where how, how what are some things you have seen go wrong there yeah it's a great so i actually have a whole speech called nine faulty pro-life arguments and tactics so I, we could do this as long as you want but like I'll, I'll give you an example of an argument and a tactic so like a, a, a tactic is going to be anything that makes it uh less likely for people to want to talk to you like if you're a sidewalk counselor especially like that y- you want to say very inviting things welcoming things so we have an online course and we give some suggestions on how to do that but you've got a short window there to try to convince someone to come to you so everything you're doing everything you're wearing everything you're holding if you're speaking through a bullhorn or not all of those choices matter in making you approachable or not um and so uh i say tactically i see a lot of pro-life people just they get so passionate and understandably we know what abortion is abortion is one of the worst human rights injustices in the history of mankind. And we're really trying to help our, our society to figure that out, but they, they haven't yet. And so, um, so you can get people that become so passionate, they sort of get in their own way. They're well-meaning, but they're mm-hmm. off-putting and we don't want to be that, especially post-ops. An example of an argument that we should never ever make, because it's a terrible argument, both pragmatically and philosophically, we call it the Beethoven argument. Think of all the Beethovens who've been aborted and all the symphonies, you know, all the different things of the people who could have cured cancer sometimes. Like there's all these different like variations of it. And it is a terrible argument. First of all, it works both ways. Yes, of course, there are babies who have been aborted who could have grown up to help cure cancer or be the next Hans Zimmer or, or, or John Williams. But they also could have been another rapist or something like that. Like that happens, too. And so that 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 plays both ways. More importantly, it functionally is more like a pro-choice argument. This is going to get a little bit philosophical for 60 seconds. Just like buckle in with me. This is not too hard. But the part of the disagreement between pro-life and pro-choice people is whether human value is intrinsic or instrumental. Pro-choice people think that your value is instrumental, usually, meaning that your value comes from the kinds of things that you can do functionally mm-hmm. and or 
the way that you can benefit the people around you or society. That is not the pro-life view. The pro-life view is that humans are valuable because of the kinds of things they are. They are just valuable because of the kinds of things they are, not what they do functionally. So when you start saying, well, abortion is, has killed these like wonderful people, then it's sort of like implying like this, implying that our value is instrumental and we don't want to be making that. that right. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. You know, you said something when we were role playing, I loved yeah. you said, um, I, w- I want to find common ground. Yeah. I love that. That makes that is so good because it it's sort of disarming. Um, you know, it it, uh, it, mm-hmm. it just says, you know what? I want to agree with you. Uh, I want to find areas where we yes. agree, and then you immediately go there. I love that. Yeah, that's a great tool. Yes, this is so important. So my and my friend Steve Wagner has written a book on this called Common Ground Without Compromise, and it's just one of the best things in the conversation. They are not expecting if they are only watching MSNBC all day or like you know Young Turks or something like that. They are expecting a very different <laughs> dynamic than hopefully you will have with them. So you get to play good cop bad cop with the caricature of the pro life movement that's in their head. You're going to be so different than what they expect that they will eventually potentially even become intrigued by like wanting to know what you think. I get protesters people asking me why I think the things that I think like they're asking me to tell them. And that happens because, one, I'm finding a lot of common ground, um, as much connection as I can. Like anything, anything they say that I can agree on, I am finding some way either verbally or through body language, nonverbally to show agreement. I'm also literally, because it is so powerful, it's like most powerful part of a conversation probably is the common ground part, is I will go looking for the common ground. I yeah. like really actively. So, for example, I have political views all over the spectrum. I have some political views that are pretty, that, that are on the right. I've got some that are on the left. I've got some that are in the middle. I'm on nobody's team. Nobody likes me. I'm, I'm everyone. I make everyone mad, right? So I know that I have a few political views that, Probably a college student I'm talking to on the left is going to agree with. I will find ways to get into that because then they are just so surprised to be talking to a pro-lifer who doesn't just agree with everything Ben Shapiro says. And I want them to understand, yes, I am multifaceted. I'm trying to figure out what to believe about all of these issues. And if I'm wrong about abortion, I want you to help me find that out because truth matters. Truth matters more than being comfortable. So I would rather be uncomfortable and believe true things than to be a comfortable person believing false things. So we are on a journey. You are on the same team with this person. You're on a team trying to find truth together. You are standing shoulder to shoulder, staring at this problem together with abortion or what to think about religion or, or whatever. And Man. you're staring at this problem, talking about it. And hopefully by the end of the process, which hopefully like might take years. You might have years of conversations if this is your friend. And it might, and takes a lot of people years to change their minds about something this difficult and deep. Like most people don't change their minds in one day. It just isn't psychologically. Didn't have, it doesn't happen that often. And so you're going to have time with this person to hopefully be able to see them become, you know, pro-life ultimately. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, but I think you've answered it. And let me see if I, if here's the answer. I think you're going to, Tell me, but you tell me if I'm right. Okay. So should the goal of the conversation be persuasion or understanding? And I think you're going to say understanding. 
So if I had to choose between those two things, I would choose understanding, but I would say it differently. So, so I, I, this is the way that, that I've said it publicly is that I think the goal, my goal in the conversation is not necessarily to make them pro-life or to convert them to Christianity. My goal is to love them, to love them as best as I can. Now, that's complicated because people are complicated. Like, can we stop treating people like formulas for a second hmm. and remember that people have different needs? On different days. So when I'm talking to someone, I am in my head trying to figure out how to be as loving as I can to this person. If I feel like they need to hear a good pro-life argument, I am happy to help them with that. I, I am there for them. If they want to talk about why, you know, I believe what I do religiously, I'm happy to go there. If they want to talk about something else, I'm generally willing to go there so that we can again be on that journey together. So loving people is complicated and in every conversation is filled Difficult judgment calls amidst prayer without ceasing. We say this all the time. Every conversation is a series of difficult judgment calls amidst prayer without ceasing. And so we are doing our best. I make mistakes all the time, but we're doing our best and we're paying a lot of attention to the uh, impact that we're having on the other person. We get really nerdy about psychology and philosophy and try to figure out what's working now, not what worked 20 years ago. Gen Z processes data psychologically really differently than Gen X does. So we are really interested at Equal Rights Institute in what is working right now. What is helping young pro-choice people right now to become pro-life more than any other argument or technique? And that is what we're going to teach people. EqualRightsInstitute.com. They've got all kinds of great tools available uh, if you want more, uh, you want access to some of these tools, you guys have speakers available. Yep. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to go to the website, uh, see what they have available to uh, there podcasts, to you. There's YouTube yeah. videos, there's online courses, there's TikTok videos. If you're into the really short form content, we're even on TikTok now. In fact, we're, we reach way more people on TikTok than anywhere else. It's crazy. But yeah, the, we have all the things with 200 articles plus on our blog. However you want to take in information, we are there for you. If you want to watch speaking videos, a lot of people like watching speech videos, go to our YouTube channel, find find some of my speeches, and you can quickly kind of get a sense yeah. of who we are and, and what are the main things that we teach. You want to be equipped when you have the conversations, and this is where you can be equipped. EqualRightsInstitute.com. Josh Brom, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Dear Jane. Let's make sure this pro-life podcast gets to as many people as possible. Hit that subscribe button. You can hear Dear Jane every week on your podcast platform of choice. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm your host, Scott Baker. For our producer, Kate Yule, and our editor, Jacob McCormick, thank you for listening to Dear Jane.